So, Mark. Yes. I want to talk about puppets. Puppets? Not puppets. Not daughters of governors hiding in cabinets. I want to talk about puppets. Oh, puppets. You mean like Muppets. Muppets with a P. Muppets who couldn't hold it, if you will. Yeah, makes sense. It happens to all of us. Most of those are on Sesame Street. I'm not reacting because it was a bad joke. (laughs) I'm like, I can't jump in now. It was too bad. Nope, we're keeping it in. Claire's already back and she's already shutting us down. It has been 30 weeks since Claire appeared on the show. What? And we are launching with this. Oh my god. So, Mark. Yeah. I want to ask you about puppets and specifically, like, what are your favorite puppets in movies? Well, he smiles down on us every day in our living room. Of course, I'm talking about Theodore Rex. The great and glorious. Okay, but this does raise the question of, like, what is a puppet? That's true, because, like, Theodore Rex is a guy in a suit. Right. So, I don't mean... It feels puppety. It feels puppety, but it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a very nebulous definition because technically any object can be used as a puppet, but Theodore Rex is very much like a suit, and if you're saying a suit is a puppet, like is a sports mascot a puppet, like... I would be okay with saying a sports mascot is a puppet because, like, it is like a full performance object. It's not just like makeup or something, because I would say makeup, not a puppet. Is Barney a puppet? I guess. I feel like there's something about the internal structure where the structure of Theodore Rex and Barney and Big Bird, those guys, they all have a full frame to shape them. So they are kind of human shaped, but they're not really remotely human shaped. Let's read Let's read some puppet definitions. So the, this is a very narrow definition of puppet from Merriam-Webster, which is a small scale figure usually with a cloth body and a hollow head that fits over and is moved by a hand. So according to that definition, that's a really That doesn't include, like, a marionette. That's, like, incredibly narrow definition of a puppet. The one from Dictionary.com is an artificial figure representing a human being or animal manipulated by a hand, rods, wires, etc., as on a miniature stage. I don't know. On Wikipedia, which has a... Very extensive page for puppet. It does have a section called carnival or body puppets, which are usually designed to be part of a large spectacle. And they are at least the size of a human and often much larger. One or more performers are required to move the body and limbs. Well, what I learned when I studied the theater, (laughs) when I studied puppetry in college, is that like, I mean, I studied it with Natsu, who is our beloved professor, but she literally picked, like, took a tissue out of a tissue box and turned it into a puppet, like, on the spot. So it was kind of one of those, like, anything can be a puppet if you only use your imagination. There is a thing where, like, I would say Jabba the Hutt is definitely a puppet, and that's a mechanism with multiple people inside it. I mean, I'm guessing we're starting this conversation because you want to argue that a character in the movie that we watch for this episode is a puppet, in which case we are saying that body suits are puppets. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Jack Frost is, like, I was primed to think of him as a puppet because I knew that the suit was designed by the Henson Creature Shop. Right. And in my brain, everything out of Henson is a puppet. That's how I feel, too. And that's also why I think about... Because, like, Big Bird is a puppet, right? Right. There can be full-body puppets, and I think that's because Or, like, the wizards from the Dark Crystal? Yeah, according to the Henson Company, everything they make is a puppet. So, in theory, then, these must be puppets. And I mean, like... The puppets in the Broadway Lion King are definitely puppets. Right. They're people inside some of them. 
I don't know. It's interesting. But, I mean, as with almost everything, the more expansive and inclusive the definition can be. Probably, the more meaningless it gets. Probably the better. Yeah. Well, we had opposite reactions to that. Well, I think there's a point at which it is good to be, like, broadly inclusive of things. Eventually, beyond that, you hit a point where it's, like, so it's the, like, everything is soup argument of food. Oh, that's, or everything is a sandwich argument right. of food. But I feel like, especially with puppets, though, with Natsu's example, you pick up any object and you make it talk, it is a puppet. If you imbue it with dramatic energy and tell a story with it, it is a puppet. And maybe that's what happens to the snowman in this movie. He's imbued with dramatic energy. We're bringing it back. (laughs) I mean, that is kind of what happens in the sense that it is imbued with dramatic energy because this movie needs a plot to exist. Or at least, like, the winds of winter sweep through him. That's what it looks like. I don't know if it's the winds of winter or the magic harmonica. Well, the winds of winter have to show up somewhere, Claire, and if I have to see them in 1998's Jack Frost, I will see them there. What are the winds of winter? That's the name of the next Game of Thrones book. Oh, okay. (laughs) So anyway, Mark. Yes. What's your favorite movie puppet? I said Theodore Rex. Oh, that's right. The dinosaur detective who works with Whoopi Goldberg in the future. He is not a detective. He is brought in as a consultant. I thought they made him a detective. I think by the end of the film, they do make him a detective. Yeah, because he discovers that the guy who brought dinosaurs back to life was also manipulating them because of, like, a cult belief that he had. He was going to destroy humanity. A new arc, I think. Yeah. He committed the first dinocide, right? Yeah. The first murder of a dinosaur. I have to admit that I just tuned out for that entire discussion of Theodore. I cannot talk about Theodore Rex anymore. I can't. I can't. The the amount of brain space that has been taken up by Theodore. The amount of hours that has been taken up by Theodore Rex. The times my eyes have looked at the poster on our wall. Like, I can't do it anymore, William. Claire has gone full <laughs> Mrs. White in Clue the movie. <laughs> Doing the same hand gesture. Flames, Flames coming out the, the side, side of my face. See, Claire, it sounds like you have a lot in common with Whoopi Goldberg's oh character in the God. movie, who also hates dinosaurs. She's racist against dinosaurs, which is why it's common. so hard to work with Theodore Rex. Maybe I have a lot in common with Whoopi Goldberg in that she also hated the film <laughs> Theodore Rex. <laughs> That's true. She had to be sued into honoring her contract. Anyway, this whole conversation has made me realize that probably as someone who, like, now does puppets for money sometimes i should have a favorite movie puppet and i should watch more movies with puppets because my joke answer is the guy in the bag from theodore rex that's kind of a fun puppet i mean it's horrifying it's completely illogical like that entire nightmare of a film but anyway i i hereby resolve to watch more puppet movies my real answer would be any number of the muppets but my heart of hearts just wants to say Max Rebo. What's Max Rebo? In Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. If you're into puppets, you gotta watch Star Wars, Claire. I'm, you're just gonna use my love of puppets to make me watch everything that you love. I love puppets. puppets. That's true, you do love puppets. Max Rebo is a little blue elephant who plays keyboard in a band at Jabba the Hutt's palace in Return of the Jedi. You should actually Google him. He's adorable. He's okay. very, very cute. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I think in... Our Empire episode, I talked about him as, like, my ultimate Star Wars date. I think you did. I also do need to give a shout-out to a true icon of our times, Miss Piggy, who embodies the confidence that we should all aspire to. She's terrific. I love Miss Piggy to a obsessive degree sometimes. Look, she knows who she is, and she lives it proudly. She gets what she wants. How many of our best puppets has Frank Oz voiced? Like, Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Yoda, my favorite Sesame Street Muppet, Grover? 
I mean, between him and Jim Henson, they are puppets. Yeah. Sounds like it's time for some gender diversity in puppeteering. Fair. Sure. <laughs> that is true of basically every art form. This is a, this is a fact. I mean, you named two people who happen to be men. I don't. And they know. work together. I feel like I need to do more research on the field of movie puppeteering in general. I mean, you're probably right. I will say it's a safe statement. In this film, one of the people inside the puppet suit is a woman. That's right. They have gender parity in this movie. That is true. We achieved it in 1998. Wow. Which brings us to Jack Frost. Welcome. To We Love the Love. Do we have to be brought to Jack Frost? A Hollywood I think romance. Jack Frost will come to us in the dead A of night. Hollywood You just summon him with the harmonica. I'm so glad that we're here celebrating this cold and frosty wintertime with this wintertime film, yeah. Jack Frost. This is our last episode of 2019. It is not currently 97 degrees outside, no. for sure. No, turn up the heat, really. <laughs> I'm Mark and I'm Yank. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast dedicated to digging into the most important questions of this life and our mysterious snowy next life. Specifically, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And is Snow Dad actually better than No Dad? (laughs) (laughs) And also, are these people dateable or likable? I can't believe you were the first one to say that phrase. I was so on board with that phrase. You just took that from him, Mark. No, I'll still say it. Uh, It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or between a woman and her undead snowman (laughs) husband. We will dig in and see what's there. It's our mission. We can't stop. We won't stop. We'll do it forever. We'll do it until we turn into snowmen ourselves. And this week, as we said, after 30 weeks off the podcast, we welcome back our roommate, Claire. Hi. I live here, too. I no longer do. That's unfortunately. true. Mark left us. This is actually the ghost of Mark in snowman form here on the podcast. Hey, snow Mark is better than no Mark. Because <laughs> again, it's not currently 97 degrees outside and I'm not angry about it. That would be ridiculous. So, Jack Frost, what a film. So, I had seen this movie weirdly many times. What? Why? Because my grandparents owned it. Who did this? You You know how, like, in the age of physical media, like, you just watched whatever movies you owned over and over again, kind of regardless of their quality? Isn't this kind of like a blasphemous anti-Catholic film? How is this anti-Catholic? I don't know. Jack Frost is Jesus. What? (laughs) He returns from the dead to help us save our souls, live our better lives. You're telling me that finding a new Jesus in Michael Keaton is not blasphemous? Hey, Keaton is great. Well, He's terrible in this movie. This is the worst Keaton performance I've ever seen. Honestly, I don't think anyone could have delivered these horrible lines better than Michael Keaton. Sure, but like, imagine someone who's like, okay, you used to be Batman. Now here's what we want you to do. How much did they pay him for this? Not enough. Okay. Actually, the budget for this movie was $85 million. So maybe a lot. I feel like they almost should have brought in a worse actor because then they wouldn't have panicked at how bad the lines are, like I'm sure he did. And they would just deliver it with the intent that they were written with and the movie would just plot along fine, but then it wouldn't be the weird, surreal experience that it is watching today. If only this movie was created to be cheap and bad, like a Hallmark movie. But it wasn't. It was like Warner Brothers' big Christmas release. That just makes it so much sadder. My favorite thing that I read about this movie and doing research was from the LA Times review by Jack Matthews, which starts off, Warner Brothers got even with critics for a year's worth of negative reviews last week when it compelled them to see Jack Frost on a Saturday morning. That's a sick burn. That's the opening (laughs) line. 
Snow Dad's melting with the heat of that burn. Wow. Temperature puns. And then it, the rest of the review is just intermittently dunking on the fact that Warner's was like, we want you to see it in a movie with children so that you can see how kids react. And the critic just keeps being like, yeah, the kids didn't laugh either. This is probably one of the earlier movies I remember thinking, this is bad. I had never known that this film existed or seen this movie. Although I will say that I knew deep in my heart as I was watching it that young Claire would have loved this movie. Like, this would have been my shit. Like, I've been like, yes, snowmen, like... This is great. I would have been really into it. But is that just because, like, you didn't have a lot of snowman experience? Maybe. I would just, like, you know, little Claire living in Africa would have been like, wow, is this what snow is like? Dead people come alive in the snowy winters of, where do they live? Denver? No, they're in Medford. Denver, isn't it? It's Medford in this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, they live outside Denver because he is performing with his band, the Jack Frost Band, in the Denver Music Hall. He's performing Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman. Don't worry, that version of Frosty the Snowman is on the soundtrack. Oh, no. Yes, it is. Everyone was eating this song the f*** up, including a full Back to the Future moment of a guy holding a phone up to listen to a rendition of Frosty the Snowman. As in, we've gotta sign this band doing Frosty the Snowman. I just hate that his name is Jack Frost. Like, it didn't need to be Jack Frost. You know I love it when movies dunk on themselves. Like, we've talked about Isn't It Romantic, where Rebel Wilson shouts, how do I get to the end? And last summer, there was Dark Phoenix, where James McAvoy is laying out his entire emotional arc, and Michael Fassbender says, no one cares. And in this movie, when Jack Frost realizes he's become a snowman, he's wandering around the town square asking why this has happened, and he says to himself, is it the name? Jack Frost? Because that's not even clever. And I said, ah, movie, you have happened upon something. They could have still named this movie Jack Frost with him having a normal name. Yeah. It would have still made sense. Not, nothing about this movie could have ever made sense. But I feel like we need to like tell people what happens in it because it's not making sense to the listeners. Either. So the premise of the 1998 film Jack Frost is that Michael Keaton is in the Jack Frost band. They're in a band on the rise. At the start of the movie, even before we see anything, we hear him leading into the performance of Frosty the Snowman, clearly doing a Springsteen impression. It's like a way too long scene of his band performing Frosty the Snowman. They do the whole song. Yeah. And then we have But another, everyone's eating it up. Then we have another unnecessary introductory scene. There's like two incredibly draggy introductory scenes back to back. Yeah, so Keaton is Jack Frost. He's got the Jack Frost band. And for the first... 30 minutes, the movie is about him struggling to help his band take off now that they've been discovered while playing Frosty the Snowman and also trying to be a good dad and a good husband. That is what the movie is about for 30 minutes. Then he drives off a cliff accidentally while going through a snowstorm. Cut to a year later, his kid is having trouble adjusting and plays the magic harmonica that his dad gave him. And that turns the snowman that his son had made into his dad. His dad's spirit is made incarnate in this snowman. See, there's more of my Catholic terminology. And it's the 40-minute mark of this hour and 40-minute movie when the snowman shows up. And then hijinks ensue, they reconnect, and he fades away. Now, this 1998 movie, Jack Frost, should not be confused with the 1997 movie, Jack Frost, which is about a serial killer named Jack Frost, 
who escapes when he's about to be executed and is running away from the prison and gets hit by a truck or something and radioactive nonsense falls into the snow. And so this Jack Frost merges with the snow and becomes a snowman named Jack Frost who then goes around killing people. Okay, question. What is Jack Frost? Like in this movie? No, like what is, is that like some kind of mythical character? Yeah. Like Easter Bunny? Yeah, he's like that. Like someone who brings snow or something? Yeah, he's kind of mischievous. Kind of just a generic reference. Winter character. Is he in like any songs or anything? Like, is it like Rudolph? Um, he doesn't originate from a song. He's mentioned in some songs. Feels like he's some pagan nonsense that kind of hung around. There was a Rankin-Bass special about him, right? Wikipedia is telling me, Jack Frost is a personification of frost, ice, snow, sleet, winter, and freezing cold. He is a variant of Old Man Winter. So there we go. Starting in the late 19th century. Interesting. He may originate from Anglo-Saxon and Norse winter customs. Pagan nonsense. You were right. He's pagan nonsense. So this movie is bizarre. Yes. And the weirdest thing about this movie, I'm going to make an argument that doesn't really make sense, but this movie would have been just as good if he never came back as a snowman. Like if he just came back as a person? Or even never died and we just watched this family kind of fall apart and then get back together because the snowman element adds no humor or Um, levity or I'm sorry, what about the part where the dog peed on him? Did you not laugh aloud? I I was rolling on the ground. (laughs) I was like, dogs peeing on things, that's the height of comedy. I mean, that dog is a full character. He gets reaction shots, he's horny. The actor dog's name is Mr. Chippy, we learn from the Roku. I'm assuming, I have not looked at the five points of the romance. I'm assuming one of them is when the dog is motivated to take Jack Frost to the hockey rink by the possibility of sexy poodles being there um actually the entire five points is just about mr chippy and his dramatic turn in this film jack frost so i hope everybody is ready for that i mean there's not that much romance anywhere else actually his name might have been mr chips but i don't know if i can find that on the internet again besides this i want to reiterate that the most compelling moments of this film are the parts where it's just a father interacting with his son with the snow part uninvolved i don't know I'm jumping the gun here, but I think the romance is pretty believable. It's pretty solid in this movie. That's because he is never a truly bad father. No, he's just torn we between get, different things. Yeah, and the thing is, we get two examples. He misses one hockey game to record a song, and then he is going to miss one Christmas to perform and get a record deal, which in my family, we've more than once celebrated Christmas, like on Christmas Eve or on the 26th to accommodate other people's lives. Whereas his son is so mad that he resents his father's even after he dies for this one thing. This movie has a very high standard for fatherhood. But I, I think, think the resentfulness after he dies is because it's enhanced by like, he didn't want to be with us and then that killed him. But what actually killed him is that he did want to be with his family. Right, but there's no way for them to know that. I feel like we're jumping a little bit his ahead. His best friend Robert Baratheon could have told them that. His untimely death is one of my points. You guys are ruining my content. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, I'm just so upset at how he is a good father basically for the whole film and his son is just an annoying twerp okay so some stats on jack frost it's the feature directorial debut of troy miller who went on to make run ronnie run and dumb and dumberer how did he get more movies i do not know he mostly directs tv he's directed a lot of tv comedy but 
not a robust movie career. If you want a robust movie career, this movie was shot by Laszlo Kovacs. I have heard of him. I have not. He is the cinematographer who shot some movies we've covered, like Say Anything, dot, dot, dot. He shot Ghostbusters. That's another one we did. Easy Rider, just a ton of classic movies. And Jack Frost. He is the visual mastermind who brought us the snowball fight in the valley where all snowball fights take place. God, even though I will say Elf copied that scene basically shot for shot. Yes, it's better in Elf. It is much better in Elf. It makes more sense because I guess it's because he's made of snow that he is good at snowball fights. Which doesn't really track for me because his hands don't have hands on them. Also because he is still very much coming to terms with being a snowman at that point and like how he moves around. But it's just like immediately into windmill snowball mode. He makes multiple jokes about his giant snowman butt. I mean, there's a lot of weird jokes about that in this one. Like, I was going to save this for romance later, but, like, when they're making the snowman at the beginning of the movie, Charlie goes, he needs a nose, and Jack Frost sticks a stick lower on the snowman, and it's like, I thought you said hose. What? Giving really? the snowman a you penis. I completely missed oh, yeah. that. it was so uncomfortable. And I was really hoping then that Charlie would give the later snowman a penis so that, like, he and Kelly Preston could reunite. Into a microphone, William. I'm so. Snow Jesus is better than no Jesus, William. You need to find God, specifically a snowman reincarnation of God. So, additionally, there is the point when they're running away from the snowball fight, and Jack Frost briefly gets and fondles his own snow boobs. Every snowman's dream. It did raise some interesting questions about, like, If Jack Frost can, like, add snow to his body, then that could make things like gender expression really interesting in the snowman world. Please, I I beg of you, William, in the same vein as, say, I-bees, I beg of you, can we not talk about this and instead talk about the five beautiful points that I have Hey, snow hose is better than no hose, Claire. (laughs) I-bees is a terrible example because we repeatedly continued to talk about that. Did you just say snow hose is better than no hose? Guys, remember in May when that woman had bees living in her eye? I forget what the other thing you weren't allowed to talk about is. Something with butts. I think it was carnal. Oh my god, it was about Tommy Wiseau's butt. (laughs) Tommy Wiseau's butt. Uh... The whole time watching this movie, I kept thinking about Sandman and how there's one kernel that has yes, a consciousness. Yes, I thought of this too. And I was wondering, is there one snowflake that contains his consciousness? Or is there, like, one of the eyes? Where is his consciousness located? Because couldn't you just put that in a freezer? No, his consciousness is clearly distributed because the different parts of him are able to move around independently. Like, when the middle ball is, like, going around doing stuff. Like, it has a certain amount of autonomy. Oh, like the detached limbs in yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes, exactly. That, like, wander around by themselves? So, that raises the question, though. Does that mean any snow that's ever been a part of him, when it's lost, maintains some consciousness? Or is it only when it's attached to some central pillar? I was thinking I about think this that's the whole time. It. Yeah. Is there a snow spinal cord? It's you guys weird are that doing a lot to avoid talking about the sexy romance between the snowman and his human wife. It's just weird that Charlie never asks any questions about like what life is like as a snowman. He's or... never like, "So what are you doing at night since you clearly don't need to sleep?" 
Or what's the afterlife like? Right. What have you been doing for a year? Charlie asks none of the important questions. That would be the first question I ask. There should be a whole E.T. section of the movie where the government arrives to try and kidnap and study the alive snowman. That's what happens in Splash. And the harmonica, they should investigate why that actually has the power to summon the dead. Yeah. So many more interesting ways this movie could have gone, but instead we got a lackluster snowball fight and a lot of hockey. <laughs> Claire just summed up the whole movie and I feel like we could end the episode there. Except for what about talking about the love, the entire premise of this podcast, and also the reason I am here. My mission to bring you the love between the snowman and his sexy human wife, who is actually John Travolta's wife. Yeah, it's Kelly Preston. Yeah, who is involved in making Battlefield Earth, which... Probably means she's a crazy Scientologist. Yeah, she is. But she's great in Jerry Maguire. Yep, that's true. And in this heartwarming film. Okay, before we move on, I want to talk box office because this is a great 1998 box office. It opens December 11th, 1998, like ready to just crush that Christmas season in third place with $7 million. Its budget is $85 million. That's not great. I mean, if it has like a really long run... This movie's not getting a long run. So where do you think it ends up, if you have to guess, having seen this movie? 13 million. I was going to go up to like 30. It ends at $34 million. Not great, Bob. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So a loss of $50 million? Yeah, just about. On top of that, you also have the cost of the advertising, which is not included in the production budget. So it opens in third place. In first is... The opening of Star Trek Insurrection. And in second place is week four of A Bug's Life. So faced with a brand new family film, everyone just went to Bug's Life again. A much better movie. Yep, Bug's Life rules. Wow, Americans made a really good choice that week. Also in the top ten, because this is a great, great microcosm of 1998, we've got Enemy of the State, the Rugrats movie. Oh, yeah. We've got The Waterboy with Adam Sandler, the 1998 version of Psycho. It's like you're speaking of foreign. I've never heard of any of these movies. Meet Joe Black, which has the great scene where Brad Pitt gets hit by a car. Babe, Pig in the City. I have seen Babe, Pig in the City. That's the sequel to Babe, right? That's right. I've seen that one. And Elizabeth. And then opening in their first weeks on like eight screens each, we have Rushmore and ultimate best picture winner, Shakespeare in Love. Remember the Rugrats movie? I feel like that taught me too much about the birth process. I think I only saw Rugrats in Paris. I have never seen... I maybe saw one episode of Rugrats on TV. The Rugrats movie is about the birth of Dill. Oh, then I have seen that. Birth is a natural process that you should appreciate, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, but the way they tackle it is very weird in that movie. So, with all of this... Claire seems really eager to dive into the romance of Jack Frost. Sorry, I just feel like... Uh, my role on this podcast is usually to, like, hurry us along. It's not a we bad a role. We have less to discuss this time, so I don't know why I'm rushing to the to the end. I feel like the fact that you have covered two three-hour-plus movies really plays into this. I'm used to Bollywood, where I'm like, okay, we need to, like, skip that entire subplot where the guy, like, dies and is replaced by another guy, and then Shah Rukh Khan is That's what happens in this movie. The and, like, guy dies and is replaced by a snowman. That's true. Snow guy is better than no guy. To be clear for the listeners... There are a lot of really miserable lines in this movie, like when Charlie and Snowman Jack Frost are riding on the sled, and Jack Frost goes, you the man, and Charlie goes, you the man, and Jack Frost says, no, I'm the snowman. Did he actually say, duh? Yes. Yeah. That makes it worse. It does. You say that this movie has many bad lines. I will posit that this movie has almost entirely bad lines with, I guess, a few exceptions. That is true. But the greatest of all is when Charlie makes friends with his bully, finally, 
and his bully tells him that he will help rescue Jack Frost, saying, Snow Dad is better than No Dad. Is there a rule that bullies in 90s movies have to have, like, weird, sticky-uppy porcupine hair? He looks like the Pokemon Tangula. He is a very great example of a 90s bully, because he also has goggles, which I feel like... He's a snowboarder, because he's very cool in the 90s. Remember when a kid, I think it's that bully, or maybe his friend, when we cut a year forward in the future, comments about Charlie, ugh, he's no fun to pick on since his old man died. That was harsh. Really, a a huge lack of empathy there. Way to be a buzzkill, Charlie. (laughs) Cheer up, Charlie, am I right? I'm sad about your father's death. I was so mad that Snow Dad is better than No Dad was a line and not just a tagline. I thought it was just the tagline and then the kids said it in the movie and I was pissed. Also, this is failing to address that the kid says that and is a bully because he has never known his father. So he empathizes with Charlie because he is so sad about never knowing his dad that he says Snow Dad is better than No Dad. Look, Rory is on a dangerous road. At one point, Natalie tells us that school bullies make up 75% of all prison population. Oh my god. Where does she get that statistic? I would love to know. How do you know the name of that character? I wrote it down. She's the only girl on the hockey team. Which is fairly typical of hockey teams. There's one girl, no more, but also no less. Fairly typical of all movies, actually. Anyway, every week we break down the romance of a movie into five points that summarize the romantic plotline. Because that is all we talk about. We don't talk about anything except for romance. But we do talk about snow dads. They're better than no dad. This week, Claire, as our expert on the 1998 film Jack Frost, and not the 1997 film Jack Frost, in which he kills a bunch of people after being turned into an undead snowman. Yes, I both know who Jack Frost is as a mythical character, and am the one who chose this movie. That's right. You, you were, like, done with being on the show, and then after 30 weeks, you were like, guys, we have to do this. Yeah, I popped out of the snow and was like, Jack Frost! <laughs> and you were wearing this pork pie hat, too! Uh, what? <laughs> Claire came out of retirement Actually, for this. I died, and I also came back to life as a snowman, so the only human person here right now is Will. And that's right, and I'm a puppet. <laughs> when was that established? Yeah, just human now. body a puppet? In some ways, a human for a body skeleton. for a soul. <laughs> the human body is the brain's puppet. It uses outside mechanisms, i.e. muscles and skeleton, to control it. Truly anything is a puppet if you have only the power of imagination. All actors are puppets. So, Claire, (laughs) as our expert of the film, Jack Frost, your job is to guide us through the romance of this movie. Yeah, and this is a romance film. Um, (laughs) I thought it was more romantic than it turned out to be. It actually was pretty believable romance. So basically, the, the main romance is between Jack Frost and his wife. Again, he's a person named Jack Frost. He's in the Jack Frost band. He sings Frosty the Snowman and gets turned into a snowman. No relation to the sprite Jack Frost that comes from Norse mythology. Um, anyway, Jack Frost is married to Gabby. No, her name is Gabrielle and he calls her Gabs. He calls her Gabs and Gabby. Okay. Played by Kelly Preston. Is her name Gabby or Gabrielle? I don't remember hearing Gabrielle. I know I heard Gabby and Gabs. Okay. Anyway. Jack and Gabs are married, and they're super in love for people who have been married so long. Which is nice. Which is really sweet. So Gabby works in a bank. And Jack is a musician, 
And when Jack comes home, they seem to have a really good time together as a family. And, like, he gets dropped off by Robert Baratheon and is, like, flirting with her, being like, hey, lady, like, can you lend me some money? And she's like, no, my husband's a musician, so I'm broke! They have a lot of flirty banter. Like, the spark seems very much alive for people who have a 10-year-old or 11-year-old son. So, basically, we get to see, like, a little window into their loving marriage. And they have this thing where she will say, sing me a smile, Jack. And then they'll sing her a song. Yes, and the song is, every time I say goodbye... Which the lyrics to that are, every time I say goodbye, I die a little, which is foreshadowing. Ooh, just like singing the entirety of Frosty the Snowman kind of describes the plot of this movie. Because he comes to life magically and disappears without warning. I would argue that the song Frosty the Snowman has more intrigue than this film. So yeah, anyway. because at least in that one, they, like, find the hat, and they're like, what's this weird hat? And there's a marriage involving Parson Brown. Like, No, that's a different song. Oh, that's really? Winter Wonderland, they Oops, song. my bad. I don't actually know the lyrics of Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman. He was a jolly happy soul. It's just a snowman, and they find a magic hat and put it on him, and he comes to life. But okay. they let him down the streets of town right to the traffic stop. And the cop is really opposed to the live snowman. Yeah, he hollered stop. Okay, uh, maybe I should play it right now, since it is, in fact, Christmas time. Anyway, so I feel like you're singing this to avoid getting to the part where No, we want to talk about this movie. Claire, I have been trying to talk about the romance of this movie the whole time and you keep derailing me, getting off topic. I thought you were being serious for a minute. I got really mad. <laughs> I saw it in your face and I was like, oh no, she thinks I'm serious. Your sarcasm is too good. Okay, so Jack and Gabby are in love. They're in love, and they have quite a lot of sexy times for a family movie. Yeah. They're, like, like getting all romantic, like, making out. Okay. Cut to the next point. Point number two. Point number two. Frosty the Snowman is a fairytale they He was made of ice and snow, and he came to life one day. They are still in love, but now they're in a fight because... Jack has promised his son, Charlie Boy, that he's going to be at his hockey game. But then Jack is recording his cool jams, including Frosty the Snowman, in the studio. And he loses track of time. And him and Robert Baratheon are, like, jamming out. And so he misses the hockey game. And then Gabs is really mad at Jack for being a bad father. Because She's like, I don't care if you flake out on me, but you can't flake out on Charlie. Yeah, because she chose to be married to a musician, but Charlie didn't choose to have a musician for a father, so Jack needs to do better. And this is when Jack goes and gives Charlie his harmonica that he bought the day Charlie was born and tells him it's magic. He gives him their harmonica before. I will say that Jack clearly knew he wasn't going to make it to the hockey game, and it was shitty of him to promise to make it to the hockey game. Yeah, I think he was in the moment, like, trying to convince himself it was possible, but it was clear he knew it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, Gabs does have a point that he shouldn't promise things that he can't fulfill, but it's not really, like, that big of a deal. There will be another hockey game. There will be other hockey games, and they also lost horribly, so he didn't miss anything. I played hockey when I was a kid. Street hockey. Like, in a league, we had rollerblade hockey. Of course, the father and son have to bond over sports. So, the implication is... They live in Colorado in the age of Gretzky. 
because the father didn't, like, show up for the sports, it means he's a bad dad. And uh, there's a whole plot where he's supposed to teach Charlie Boy this magic hockey J-shot. The J-shot. It's going to change his hockey game. My dad came to every one of my hockey games for, like, four years, and then the first one he missed, I got a hat trick after having never scored. <laughs> to be fair, I played defense. I'm afraid to ask what a hat trick is, so I'm just going to keep going. It's when you score three times in a game. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, my father was very invested in my sports career which did not go great for him. Because you were not. Because <laughs> I was not. Weren't Aren't you more you... focused on the Bible verses? Yeah, I was great at that because it was rote memorization. Uh, I enjoyed swimming more than other sports, and one factor was definitely I couldn't hear my father screaming at me in the stands because I was underwater. It's a lot to unpack there. It's you were on a Christian basketball team, right? Yep, in the church basement because I wasn't good enough to play in the rec league. Mark, do you have any thoughts about golf? <laughs> I hate that sport because it's really boring, makes you walk a lot in the heat, and is... Hot like it's not today. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like the opposite of today. And you're required to wear ugly clothes. Also, it's an environmentally wasteful. That's true. That too. too. I am very opposed to the concept of golf courses as they currently are. Anyway, so... Point number three? Point number three. And there's Jack is still not a snowman. So I watched this movie on my bus ride to and from school today. So this morning I like get up. It's like 6.30 in the morning. I get on my bus and I'm like, I'm watching this till I get to work. And there was no snowman by the time I got to the work because my bus ride is 40 minutes. And you were like, oh my God, wrong movie. No, I knew it was the right movie because I'd seen it. But I was just like, the snowman is not in a lot of this. No, maybe because it was, Mark was like, was it expensive to animate the snowman? Like, what's the deal with the late late arriving? Or maybe they I just, think they just really want us to get invested in their relationships before they take Jack Frost away from us. I mean, Because he doesn't die until about 30 minutes in. That makes a lot of sense. Point number three is we're continuing to get invested in this relationship, this both this, like, marriage and family. And everybody makes up when Jack promises Charlie Boy that, I keep calling him Charlie Boy because that's his nickname for him and I think it's weird. But he promises to take him to a cabin for Christmas. But then, at the last minute, he needs to play for a music executive at his Christmas party. Which is a jerk move by this executive. And also weird, because why would you invite a band that you were kind of testing out to see if you like to your Christmas party? Wouldn't you want a band you already know you like to invite to your Christmas party? I don't think Christmas party music is really, like, the pinnacle of music. I mean, he'll play Frosty the Snowman, which is a winter song, makes no mention of Christmas. That is true. I will say there was also a Hanukkah song in this movie, so it is not uniquely, it's a holiday movie. Rock and roll Hanukkah, specifically. Specifically. So anyway, everything is kind of, it's kind of made up between Jack and Gabs, because Gabs is supportive of Jack's music career, but Charlie is really mad at his dad, and he, doesn't he like throw the harmonica on the ground or something? Yeah, he tosses it away. And then tosses it away. So anyway. He's being a little brat. Jack, he is. Drove me crazy. Jack Go is on. He was almost, according to IMDb Trivia Facts, which always take with a grain of salt, Charlie was, like, Jake Lloyd came pretty close to playing Charlie. That's the guy who played Anakin in the first Star Wars movie, who is often online bullied to the point where he quit acting. Yeah. Aww. Like when he was, like, in middle school. I mean, the actor playing Charlie was not bad. No. 
It's the writing. He's it's a good-looking... Not... Like, he's, like, a good look for, like, a little kid. Yeah, it's not the actor's fault. It is the writer's fault. Speaking of IMDb claims about who was almost in this movie, allegedly George Clooney signed on, but then left to make Batman and Robin. This feels like a movie George Clooney would be in. It kind of does. Especially, it makes more sense for him at his point in his career, where he's leaving ER, he's about to do Batman, whereas, like, Keaton has already been Batman. I will say that I commented during the movie, I was like, Michael Keaton is a good actor. He's a very good actor. Like, he was delivering some shitty lines with a lot of conviction. So basically, Jack is on his way to play this gig when, no, he realizes he's being the worst father ever. And everyone in his band is like, yeah, we were waiting for you to decide because we also want to be with our families. And it's like, band, just tell Jack no. And also, like, it's just one day and it's like a big deal for this career that you've been working for for a long time since you're all like in your 40s. And they're just like, no, it's more important for us to be with our families on Christmas, which whatever it's a christmas movie that's what you're gonna get so they turn around actually just jack turns around in in a car everyone else is in the van everyone else is in the van yeah they'll just go back all together to where they live whereas jack is going to the cabin the cabin and then the windshield wiper is broken on the car and there's a blizzard there's a blizzard and jack dies he like drives off a cliff he drives off a cliff fade to black one year later yes so, Jack's death puts a dent in his relationship with his wife. You might say it <laughs> ceases to exist. You might say that, but you would be wrong. Because Jack comes back to life as a snowman, because Charlie plays the magic harmonica, and then he is just in Let's be yard. clear. Prior to that, Charlie has built this snowman with his dad's scarf and hat while Landslide plays. Oh my god, I forgot about that scene! It was so dramatic. How much do they have to pay to play the entirety of Landslide? We were also watching with closed captions on, and I loved it credits. When it started, it goes, Stevie Nicks, colon, I took my love, I took it down. (laughs) That's a great song. You could literally, I would love to watch a montage of Landslide over different scenes. I think it would work with any scene. Like, any scene becomes poignant if you play Landslide. It was like that meme after The Last Jedi came out where they were scoring the Red Room lightsaber fight to like a million different songs. That's how I feel about You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon. I think if you play You Can Call Me Al over any situation, that becomes comical. Like, you could play a clip of somebody murdering someone with You Can Call Me Al, and it would be hilarious. This is kind of the idea that we talked about when we discussed Begin Again. That notion that putting music over a scene, like, in your life makes it feel meaningful, as opposed to just, like, random stuff that's happening. That's secret to montages. It's almost like movies need music to tell you how to feel. Look, wow, music has value. Okay. I'm afraid a change is coming. <laughs> anyway. Mostly this snowman that's about to come to life. So the snowman comes to life and... Uh, Nobody interrogates this. People don't really question it that much. For some reason... Jack the snowman decides he's gonna freak the f*** out of his child, but he's like, no, Gabs can't see me like this. 
I'm too, like, snowy or something. So he decides not to reveal himself to Gabs, but to reveal himself only to his son, Charlie. So the movie tries to make the fact that he's alive funny by only having the hockey coach, which I guess was supposed to be a comic relief character. Yeah, Sid. The only person to see him actually walking, and he freaks out and goes on the news to talk about it. And it's supposed to be ha-ha funny, and it just is so weird jack refuses to have gabby see him because he's like she can't see me like this exactly like he's like too unsexy as a snowman or something well he didn't give himself a hose can you imagine coming back from the dead and being like i am back from the dead to reconnect with my family but i can't see one half of my family because i am a snowman well we also don't know what he went through for the past year it's like, true. In the afterlife? Yeah, because Charlie doesn't ask. Maybe found new love in the afterlife. That adds way too many points to my five <laughs> points, so I choose to believe that that did not happen. It's so weird that he doesn't want his wife to see him. It's I think he fl- knows that he can turn into Michael Keaton, which he does at the end. It's such a flimsy excuse to have there be like some supposed comedy with this kid like walking around talking to a snowman, which is actually pretty sad if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Yeah. And it's also, like, a weird way to talk about grief. Anyway, this is point number four, the farthest part in their relationship when... Well, is it furthest when he's dead or furthest when he's a snowman who is scared to see her? Well, perhaps in some oversight on my part, I did not create a separate point for his death and afterlife period, so I Here's my question about the year where he's dead. Why do we... Maybe no questions about that year. Before (laughs) Jack Frost dies, Kelly Preston is like, please fix the sink. A year later, Jack Frost is looking through the window and sees that the sink is still not fixed. And he's like, ah, I never did fix the sink. I get it. Sure. Why did no one else fix the sink in that year? Like, where was Robert Baratheon to fix the sink? First of all, only men can fix sinks. We got Mark Addy. And teach people to play hockey. And clearly, Robert Baratheon is incompetent. And that is the reason why the sink did not get fixed you know what's great if things are too complicated for you to figure out sometimes there are people that know what to do and you can call them and in exchange for money you mean like god they will come and fix that problem for you there's these things called plumbers and they know a thing or two about pipes she doesn't have any money her husband was a musician and now he's a dead musician yeah but she works at a bank i assume she was the one supporting them the whole time that's true she has a full-time job i have nothing to add (laughs) So, I guess we're on point five? Are we ready for point number five? Okay. This is the end of the movie. I think we've alluded to things, the shenanigans that are supposedly funny that occur with Charlie and his snow dad. The worst part of the movie. The worst part of the movie. Is the snowman part of the movie. The main body of the movie? Is it the main body? Have you seen the poster of this? The version where it's like Michael Keaton and the snowman like anamorphsing apart from each other? Animorphs was really in in the in the nineteen ninety eight. Animorphs rules. I have never read Animorphs, even when it was like hot shit in in uh, elementary school. Animorphs is the best. I never read it either. The cover freaked me out, and also I think I tried and got bored. But they're so good. Mark was too busy reading the Bible to read Animorphs. I was busy scoring goals, nerd. Uh, true. Okay. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Mark is showing me the the movie poster. Oh, also Mark said during the movie, which we watched together, he was like, wow, the snowman really does look like Michael Keaton. And I don't know how they did that. 
congratulations to... Uh, it was the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Jim Henson Creature Shop. I'm making a snowman that looks like Michael Keaton. I think Michael Keaton just has very distinctive eyebrows, and they gave him those eyebrows. Keaton is mostly eyebrow. My brain filled in the rest. Anyway, at the end of the movie, point number five, it's got really warm. Not like today, because today heat wave. is really cold. Indeed. But there's a heat wave in the movie. And the radio DJ specifically announces it is hot enough to melt a snowman on the radio. As one does. So Charlie takes his snow dad up to the cabin where it's colder so his dad doesn't melt. They hitch a ride secretly on the back of an empty Christmas tree truck. First, he tries to sacrifice his life to watch his son's hockey game by crossing a pavement to get to the hockey rink. Perhaps in the most disturbing part of the movie, other than the snow penis, the snowman's body is like breaking down as he watches his son play hockey. And he's like, go on without me. I'm a puddle. But Charlie uses the J-shot to score the winning goal. Yes. So it was all worth it because they did the sports together. And as we all know, that is the foundation of all loving father-son relationships. So anyway, they're up at the cabin and Jack calls Gabby. Okay. They get to the cabin. We just see him tucking Charlie in under a blanket on the couch. There is a fire in the fireplace. Is Charlie making it or did Jack the Snowman make a fire? I mean, he can also dial a telephone, so I don't really know why you're like taking issues. Because with we know fire. he melts. Maybe it's gas. Okay, that's fair. Just flick a switch. I like it when Charlie threatens him with the blow dryer. Oh, that's funny too. He like manipulates. That's like kind of a funny premise because yeah. he hasn't figured out it's his dad yet. But how is that sp- blow dryer plugged in? We see long cords yeah. running into the house. Oh, okay. They actually, I had that same thought, and then they did show a shot of the bright orange extension cable that everyone owns. A kernel of humor in the film. <laughs> Indeed. So, basically... Jack, Jack calls Kelly Preston on the phone. Jack calls Kelly Preston on the phone, and she's like, Jack? And she starts to believe. And then she comes to the cabin, and she sees... I'm sorry, if my dead husband calls me and is like, I've taken our son to the cabin that I was driving to when I died... Come up and get him. I think this is some weird mystical crap and we're all dying. That's true. This movie could have taken a very different direction. Could have been more like the 1997 Jack Frost. This is the first she knows he's alive. Well, he does say dad has become a snowman. Yeah. So Charlie has kind of primed her to believe this, which is why she's able to make that jump, I guess. It's kind of similar to another holiday movie with a little boy named Charlie, The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. I had the same thought. Where Charlie is trying to convince his mom that his dad is Santa, although I think that movie is actually good. That movie's solid. (laughs) Just, I want everyone to stop and think about the fact that this kid has been walking around for... I'm gonna wager at least a week, if not two, just talking to a snowman in public. It's really sad because his father passed away and now he thinks the snowman is his dad and he's like walking around talking to the snowman. Like Openly. He is just openly talking to the snowman in front of other people. Yeah. So there's a whole subplot of this movie where like the mom is concerned about her son's grief. And like having Robert Baratheon take him to the what Shiverfest? The Shiverfest and listen to Rock and Hanukkah and then have like a man to man talk about it. But anyway, none of that is the love story which we're at right now. So instead of being freaked out and running away, she drives to the cabin. She arrives at the cabin and sees Jack the snowman and understands in that moment that it is Jack. As he's saying goodbye to Charlie, he's like, it's time for for me to go a timeline that we have never been made aware of up until this point so 
just so it's not weird that they're like in love and he's a snowman, he transforms back into a human for like a hot minute. As the winds of winter whirl around him. And then they like say, I love you. And then she says, Jack, sing me a smile. And then he sings every time I say goodbye. And it's a touching, weird moment. And then he disappears into the wind. This movie is weird. It's (laughs) bizarre and not good. It could have been made so much better if the movie had started with Jack and Gabrielle divorced. Jack is a famous musician. Gabrielle's resentful that he is not paying enough attention to his child. Then he dies. Then he comes back as a snowman and all three of them bond and they end up happy and then he disappears in cgi in every like description of this movie it like describes him as like a neglectful father like he needs to make up for lost time like which is not really true he has a great relationship with his kid he's like such a good dad and husband so it's just like we're not invested in that at all however i will argue that the chemistry between jack and gabs is like kind of good and it's such a small part of this movie that it's like super believable other than the fact that he is a snowman yeah this movie is kind of believable on a romantic front yeah i would wager that there isn't really that much to disbelieve in it so every week we rate the believability of a romance on a 10 point scale where zero means we believe nothing and 10 means we believe all of it so claire where would you rate jack frost I mean, I guess I have to take off a few points because at the end he is reincarnated as a snowman. I mean, otherwise it's kind of like a 10. Like, it's a portrayal of a believable married couple. uh, A very supportive one. Like a bank teller and her musician husband and their son. It makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to take off, like, three points for the whole snowman business and give it a 7. I was going to say a 9. I think I have to give it a 9. All right, I've... I was trying to be reasonable because you guys always make fun of me for like <laughs> believing too much in the romances, but okay, we're gonna I'm gonna we're gonna go with the nine. Yeah. Well, this has been one of the more believable romances we've we've watched as a group. I think this is the only time where I have disliked the movie that we were talking about, but it's the most believable romance. Oh, it definitely is. Together. Yeah, the believability and the quality ratings do not correlate. They do not align. So, do we think that Jack and Gabby are dateable? The movie is just so poorly written <laughs> that the way they talk makes me hate them yeah. at a fundamental level. I think they're dateable. They but probably are dateable, think though. about their personalities, where she's a supportive wife who works and helps her husband achieve his dreams, and he's supportive of her. They have fights, which is normal in a couple, but they actually make up. Then, like, yeah, they're dateable. But the way they talk just is so wrong and unnatural that I hate them both. They're also really good parents. Yeah. Like, I think if I have to pick one person in this movie to date, I think it's Jack Frost. Or Gabs. I kind of agree with you because... I'm also, like, primed to like Keaton so much that I think that's what's pulling it over there for me over Gabs. I mean, he was kind of, like, sexy in a dad way. Yeah. Did you see him sing Frosty the Snowman? Okay, I was trying to not think about that part. It's, like, like, such an obvious take on the Bruce Springsteen Santa Claus is coming to town. That's true. When I said, how can a band get famous singing Frosty the Snowman, Mark was like, what about Bruce Springsteen? I'm like, Bruce did not get famous with Santa Claus is coming to town. 
It is one of his best songs. Wasn't that on Born to Run? That was not his first album. What are you talking about? Uh, I was leaning, honestly, towards Robert Baratheon. Sure. You just always pick a random supporting character. Robert Baratheon is kind of trash, TBH. He's pretty good. He, like, is supposed to be babysitting, and then he falls asleep while the kid is freaking out because his dad is reincarnated. How are you supposed to plan for that? Staying awake while you're watching a child? He works at Home Depot. That's my thing about Robert Brathian. He works at Home Depot and can't fix the sink. Is it Home Depot or is it his own little hardware shop? It doesn't matter. It's true that he should have fixed the sink. Yeah. So he's also incompetent at his job, which is another reason not to date him. He's just so supportive of his dead friend's family. Really steps up in their hour of need. There was a good moment of male bonding between Robert Brathian and Charlie. Right, and... I like the framing where Kelly Preston is like, you know how I said I would never ask you to do any, like, man-to-man talks with Charlie? Because I don't think she brought that up out of nowhere. I think that's probably, like, a thing he offered to do at some point. And she was like, no, you don't have to do that. All right, I'm, I'm being swayed, but I would still rather date Jack Frost. Oh, 100%. Yeah, probably. Does anyone know Robert Baratheon's character name? Uh, or Mac. the name of the actor. The actor is Mark Addy. Is the character named Mark? I think it's Mac. 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 That's it. All right. Anyway. Typical Mark trying to Jack and Gabby <laughs> uh, will not stay together because Jack has disappeared into the winds of winter. And also died. Yes. Now, many of the films that we have discussed on this podcast have been turned into stage musicals. Should the film Jack Frost be made into a musical i'm gonna say no and you're gonna say it's already in development yes it should be made into a musical it might work i, I think, think it's it just work. crazy enough I to think work it could work better as a stage musical honestly i think the whole like life-size snowman thing will be more exciting on stage than it was on screen i also think that like the stage musical version of this is probably at least two hours and this movie weirdly kind of needs more time To, like, make sense? Like it needs more snowman time? It needs to just allow the mythology to be developed more. And also, like, that would give us the space to get more of, like, Kelly Preston's emotional journey. I really thought in that moment, Mark, that you were just going to say, it needs to just not exist. (laughs) That is also a good solution that we shouldn't rule out. And that's that on that! So, (laughs) I'm going to say that... It shouldn't be made into a musical because the story is dumb, but the movie would probably be better as a stage musical. It could be yeah. improved. I would say musical. that. It would be improved. What if it's one of those jukebox musicals, but only with songs from the Jack Frost band? I mean, obviously, that's what it would be. That's what it would be. Yeah. You know, on the album, like, that Frosty the Snowman and one other song are credited to the Jack Frost band. You know the band would be on stage the whole time, and it would be the Jack Frost band, and they would come into the scene when they're on Did you notice Charlie has, like, a wall-size, like, full-wall Jack Frost band poster in his bedroom? That's kind of cute. It is. Let's support it. They are a band that is playing the Denver Music Hall, so they must be... They're, like, kind of regionally big. But then, you know, they're gonna try and take it to a national level. Yeah. I assumed he was also contributing to the family's money because he's playing a venue that big. Yeah, he definitely was. Anyway, I think we have spent enough time in the world of Jack Frost. This episode is much longer than I thought it would be. I'm sorry. No, it's great. (laughs) I'm on board. It was very fun. Next week, we will be returning to our ongoing DreamWorks coverage sponsored by Square Apron by covering one of their earliest films, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Which is also kind of like a jukebox musical, but for Brian Adams. I have so little desire to watch this movie, honestly. I have basically no memory of it. Great. (laughs) We will also be doing our top 10 movies of 2019 countdown for each of us, which I always enjoy doing. Because again, it is the winter time. 
right now. Yeah, we've seen all the 2019 movies. Yeah, that's why we did it this week. This podcast is live. Yeah, this podcast is live. That's how it works. Burr. <laughs> it's so cold. Turn up the heat. We didn't talk about how we should do it this week, but we have to push it till next week because we're recording this in September at all. What? Hey, snow. snow weather is better than no weather. Well, we're all going to die because of the weather soon anyway, so... No! I guess you're right. No. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions and movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Last question, Claire. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Jack Frost? Um, Mark? What is the best piece of dating advice I got from Jack Frost? Uh, I guess snow hose is better than... No! <laughs> no. Hose. <laughs> no, because... It, yeah. Uh, what's the best dating advice? Um, I mean, the best piece of dating advice in this movie is be a loving and supportive spouse, discuss your issues rationally, and then come to an agreement and forgive each other. I mean, yeah. But also, come back to life as a snowman if you die. I was going to say, sing to your love interest, because that seems to work in musicals and the film Jack Frost. Yeah, that works. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And Snow Ginger is better than No Ginger. And I'm Claire. So between the three of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye.